0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. How's everybody doing this morning? Front row's doing good? Front row's doing... How about over here? Anybody doing good over here? Yeah? Yeah? Woo! All right. Praise the Lord. Hey, anybody need a Bible, throw your hand up. Uh, My friend Winston's here, gonna bring you a Bible. This is a gift to you if you need one. Uh, If you just wanna borrow it, that's fine too. You can just put it back at the sound booth when you're done. But if you need a Bible, put your hand up, leave it up, and Winston will come over to you. Um, So guys, super excited to be up here. Uh, Jeff, Pastor Jeff, ooh, yeah, my personality conflicts with sound systems sometimes. Um, So Pastor Jeff is on a personal retreat, uh, which is much needed. Um, As a pastor, I know it's hard to get really any time alone sometimes. So he's, he's sort of has some time alone out in I think, uh, I don't even know where he is, um, Fiji. No, he's in like Sun River or something. And uh, he's kind of carving out and looking through teachings for the future and just praying through the vision of where we're going next and um, some of the books we're teaching through. So that's exciting. Um, so I just want to... Uh, um, yeah, I'm thankful for him, thankful for his, his faithful teaching week in, week out, and I'm blessed to be up here with you guys. I'm blessed to be able to teach. Really excited for this morning. I'm really excited for the topic. Uh, we're going to take a break from Galatians, so if you already flipped there, I'm so sorry. You did it for not. Uh, so we're going to take a break from Galatians. We're going to take a topical study this morning on the subject of worship okay? Subject of worship. Um, this is kind of what I do. This is like, my, this is my job. This is my thing. This is my life. Eat, sleep, and breathe it. So excited to share with you guys some of the things that um, goes into what you guys just even uh, were, were, were able to, to do with the band up here and just some of the, the theology behind worship and, and etc. Um, I'll say this real quick. I, I don't know. Do you guys, how do you know when you're getting old? Does, okay, and I, I know I'm not old, okay? Like I know you might even still hear my voice crack. I don't even, I mean, it could happen. But I just, t- I turned 26 this week, which is, I know, not old, right? But it just happened that as I was turning 26 this week, I hurt my back really bad Friday, okay? Not just like, oh, my back hurts, but like, ah, my back hurts, you know what I mean? Like freaking out, I had to lay on my back like for the last two days. It takes me three minutes to get in and out of the car kind of thing, you know? Um, go to the chiropractor yesterday. So when I was a kid, I used to hurt myself doing really cool things like jumping off of bike jumps, skateboarding, kick-flipping down three-step, stuff like that, right? Uh, now I think I might be getting old because I hurt my back walking down the stairs, <laughs> okay? No joke. Like I'm walking down the stairs, and I'm like, ah, they literally dropped me to the ground. I just, uh, it was embarrassing, and so I had to share it. Um, yeah, think I'm getting old. It's, it's pretty sad, but if you guys see me kind of like being very cautious as I walk, that, that's kind of why. And if I collapse to the ground, I'm not being slain in the Holy Spirit. You need to call 911. Okay? So let's just get that straight. <laughs> oh. Um cool. Yeah again guys super super excited to to be up here and to talk about this. Okay, worship. Uh, this is, again, this is what I do, right? This is every week I'm up here uh, with, with these guys that were up here um, this morning, so proud of them. Just, just I'm up here every week leading, leading you guys in worship. This is what I pray through. This is what my heart is for the church. This is what my vision is, is worship worship of God. And so I wanted to just spend a little bit of time with you guys unpacking that. What is worship? What does it look like? Answering some of the awkward questions, maybe the elephants in the room about worship, and just talking through some of that. I have a very unique relationship with worship. My walk with God, in a lot of ways, my experience with God um, is rooted and, and has, in a lot of ways, been birthed out of worship. I actually got saved listening to a worship song uh, I was mopping a floor one time at this Christian summer camp. I somehow got duped into, uh, man, love that. Um, somehow got duped into uh, spending two weeks like mopping floors and taking out garbage, um, which was awesome. And uh, as I was doing that, I was just angry. I didn't like myself, didn't like my life, didn't like anything about anything. Uh, I was listening to this worship song, and God got a hold of my heart through the worship song literally reached into my heart through the words, through the lyrics, and I got saved. I went went to the into the bathroom the a quiet place I could find, just poured out my heart to God, cried out to Him, um, received His grace in that moment, repented of my sin, was justified, was adopted. Um, super exciting, but it all started with a worship song. Okay, so worship is dear to my heart. It's, it's special to me. It's important to me. Now, let me just say this and let this kind of sink in here. And I, and I really believe this. Okay, the heart... The heartbeat of every movement or revival or work of God, the heartbeat of every movement or revival or work of God always begins with a group of people that are consumed by praise and worship of God, of the King of Kings. Would you agree with that? The very heartbeat of any movement, any revival, any of God working in a place or working through a group of people starts with a group of people saying, God, we are praising you and we are worshiping you. And for that reason, I'm excited to talk about this because what I'm going to give you guys this morning is life. What I'm going to give you guys this morning is a chance to say, God, if you want to move through heritage, this is where it's going to start. It's going to start through his people that are called by his name, worshiping him for his glory. That's where it's going to start, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's pray, um, and then we'll we'll get going. Father, I so need you this morning, God. It's been a rough couple days, Lord. It's been a rough morning. And I'm just up here at your mercy, Lord. I'm humbled to even be here, God, in front of this church, my family. Um, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me. God, we're not interested in what Sam has to say. Not interested with what's on my notes, God, we're interested in the supernatural, prophetic words that you want to speak directly into heritage this morning. Lord, would you open our hearts to be changed, to be molded, to be convicted, and most of all, to be overwhelmed by your grace and what you've done for us, God. I pray that with every bone, every fiber in my being, Jesus, please speak to us this morning in your precious son's name, amen. Okay, so good question, good place to start, What is worship? Let's start there. Just to give you guys a roadmap, if you guys are note takers, some of you are, uh, we're going to look at the theology of worship, and then we're going to look at a brief history of worship. If you're going to fall asleep, that might be the part. And then um, we're going to look at three different dimensions or three pieces of what I think God wants to do in the worship of heritage, okay? So that's where we're going to go. That's my outline. Um, So number one, a theology of worship. Always a good place to start with theology. Theology is theology, the study of God. So we're going to look at worship through the lens of God, through the lens of Scripture. So, good question. What is worship? Okay, it's broad, but what is worship? Well, let's start with what it's not. It's a good place to start. Worship is not a genre. Okay, worship is not. Now, I know when you get on your iTunes, you see under genre, you see worship, right? That doesn't mean that worship is a genre, okay? It is not a genre. Worship is not a performance, even though it seems like a lot of bands are sort of doing that these days they're kind of doing a performance uh, worship is not intended to be and never was intended to be a performance um, One atheist once said, "If church is a show, we can go to better ones <laughs> which I would agree completely um, if we 're going to, sh- to church to be entertained let's go let's go some let's go to brit or let's go somewhere. you know what I mean like this is not about entertainment right this is not why we're here um, Worship is not free therapy. It's not an emotional buzz. It's not. I want to feel good today, um, so I'm just going to go sort of get emotional. And let's just face an elephant in the room, okay? It's kind of weird, right? I mean, it's kind of. Any of you guys that maybe aren't used to or accustomed to Christian culture, if you just walked into a building like this where 700 people were like, "Woo," you'd be like what's going on in here, right? I mean, this is weird. This is strange. It's only normal because we're used to Christian culture. So ultimately, I mean, worship is a little strange. We can admit that. I remember the first time I went to a Pentecostal church and I was raised pretty conservative. Um, and I went to a Pentecostal church and they were like crying and there was dudes going like this, you know, and there was worship flags. And I was like, this is weird, you know, this is crazy. And this, that's what most people probably feel like when they first walk into church. So I want to talk about some of that stuff. Like, why do we do some of these things that we do? Um, but let me just start by saying this. Every human on the face of the earth, every, no matter the nation, no matter the skin color, no matter the background, every human is a worshiper. You understand that? Every human is a worshiper, okay? Now, it's easy to, to see that in different religions, it's easy to see that with, with Buddhism, it's easy to see that with, with, uh, with Muslims. Yeah, they worship just another god, but not I even mean, just them. Even your most staunch, hardcore atheist is a worshiper. So well, he doesn't believe in God. How is he a worshipper? Well, who is he worshiping? He's worshiping himself, ultimately, right? Because he's decided that he has all wisdom and knowledge. So now there's no God. So even an atheist worships. Every time you go to a restaurant, guys, and you order food and you give your money for that food, and you enjoy that food, and you say this place was awesome, and you pull out your phone and you tweet about that restaurant, you're giving praise to that restaurant, and you're worshiping. It's an act of worship. Everything that you do that is enjoying something, that's giving worth or praise to something, is worship. The best way to understand what worship is is to look at the word. Worthship, okay? Worth. What do you put worth in? What do you give value? What do you pay attention to? Those are the things that we worship. Worship happens when we ascribe value to something, worship also happens when we sacrifice for something. I really love this thing and I'm going to sacrifice to it. So therefore, that's worship. It's all an act of worship. It's not all necessarily a bad act of worship, as we'll see. Now listen, sin, and this is the theology part, okay? So bear with me. Sin is a worship disorder. Did you know that? If we're all worshipers, it's what we do... If we're all worshipers, and that's what we do, sin is a worship disorder. Because sin, what sin does is it basically says that whatever I'm going to enjoy right now is greater than God. Okay? It's greater than God. So it's inaccurately valuing God for his actual worth. I'm going to value the sin that I want over... God himself. So you're basically saying that this treasure is greater than him as treasure. Does that make sense? So sin is a worship disorder. At the very heart of it, the very core of it, the core of it is valuing something more or greater than God. That is sin. In the garden, if you remember, Satan comes into the garden, and what does he do? He attacks the nerve of the worship disorder. He says to Adam and Eve, who had this worship disorder, he said, Is God really enough? Is God holding out on you? Is there maybe more there? He attacks their worship disorder, and they fall into sin. Romans 1, and 25, you guys remember it. It says God gives them over to their own lusts, to their own impurities. Why? Because they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. They worshiped and served the thing God made more than God himself, the one who made it. That's where sin happens, okay? It's not sinful to enjoy a restaurant. It's not sinful to enjoy a good book. It's not sinful to enjoy a good song. In fact, we should enjoy those things because God created them. And there's worship even to be found when you say God made this thing. That was a good meal, man. God is a good cook, right? He invented good food for us to eat. You know what I mean? There's worship to be had there when the priorities are right. When creation is above creator. Got that backwards. When creator is above creation, okay, that's when things are right. Psalm 29, I think Brent might even have read this. It says, ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due to his name. All glory is his. All power is his. All riches is his. When we sin, we choose to worship something over God. Worship is at the core, the heart of so many things. And this is important, okay? Worship starts with the gospel. Worship starts with the gospel. If you want proof that man cannot worship God apart from God interacting first, just read the entire Old Testament, and then look at your life. I cannot, am not capable of putting God in his rightful place in my heart. Even though he's more valuable, even though he's infinitely greater than all the things that I would choose to worship instead of him, I still make those things greater. That's why Jesus had to come to pay for my sin, and to give me a new heart, a new set of longings, a new set of desires. So worship starts in the gospel. It doesn't start with, I need to worship God, I have to worship God, it's a commandment, it's an obedience. That didn't work, we're in Galatians, we're learning all about that right now, right? Worship starts with Jesus gave everything for me, and out of that, I'm thankful. Out of that, I'm going to praise him. Out of that, I'm gonna give him my adoration. I'm gonna value him because what he's done for me. Does that make sense? Worship starts in the gospel. Worship starts with understanding what he's done for me, not forcing myself to do something for him. Isn't that good news? And the last thing I'll say about the theology of worship, worship's in the Trinity. Have you ever thought about that? The Trinity, right? Confusing, I know. God, three in one. Three persons, but yet one God, ultimately. When you look at the way they interact in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament. They're constantly giving worth and value and praise to each other. Jesus is constantly saying, no, it's all about God the Father. It's all about God the Father. All praise, all adoration goes to him. God the Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. All glory, all praise goes to him. The Holy Spirit is there here right now to give glory to Jesus, to the Father, right? That's why he's here. The Trinity itself is one big worship service that's been going on for all of eternity. And now we as the bride of Christ are invited into that. And we get to praise and and adore and worship just like the Trinity has been for eternity. Isn't that exciting? Worship's at the very heart and the core of the Trinity of itself. That's so cool. So, there's a brief theology of worship. Now, let's talk a little bit about the history of worship. And when I say worship too, as far as this historical look here, I'm talking a little bit more about the musical aspect of it. Because I want to get into that. You know, why do we do that? Why do we use music? Here's, here's a brief history if you guys are kind of nerdy, you'll you'll like this part. About 4,000 years ago, we saw the first musical, really, expression of worship. Abraham, you guys remember Abraham, was called to sacrifice his son. God was gracious, said, I'll provide myself a sacrifice. Ram was caught in the thicket. And then Abraham worshiped God 4,000 years ago, okay? He worshiped God. Fast forward about 600 years, And then the tabernacle was built, this tent that God uh, gave the instructions for uh, that God's people could worship him in the tabernacle. And they did, and they used timbrels, and they used drums, and they used harps, and they used all kinds of instrumentation, and it was loud. It was probably super Pentecostal. It was probably charismatic. It was probably like, I mean, lots of just noise and music and excitement and joy and drums and trumpets and all kinds of stuff. That's how the Jews worshiped God. That's how they worship God. And then fast forward, we get the temple. The temple's built, the place for God. It's people to come and to give sacrifices. The uh, Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God is in the Holy of Holies. And the Jews would ascend the hills. Multiple times a year. And when they would go to Passover, they had psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. You can find them in the scriptures. And there were these songs that they would literally sing as they were ascending the hills. When we were in Israel, uh, Jeff and I and a group from the church, uh, we were like going up the hill to Jerusalem and we were singing Psalms of Ascent. It was so cool. This is what happened thousands of years ago. The Jews would sing together to celebrate what God had done for them. So cool. And then we see in like 600 BC and 4, we see lots of worship happening in Jewish synagogues which was just sort of the equivalent to their church. They, when they would come together, they would sing and they would worship God. So we see lots of musical worship in the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes, okay? You guys know about that, right? Jesus came. God came, manifested as a man, paid for all of our sin, took the wrath of God, gave us a new birth, gave us a new life. We get a change in time, B.C., A.D., okay? A.D., after death, or Anno Domini, whatever you want to say. Um, 313 A.D., about The church had been around for about 200, 250 years, okay? And, the, and Rome, who had persecuted the church, who had oppressed the church, had taken Christians and thrown them in to be eaten by lions, all of a sudden something changed. The Edict of Milan came along and that was basically uh, Rome saying, we're going to allow Christianity. Christianity is now legal. And then slowly it exploded and actually became the Roman religion. So when that happened, about 300 years after Christ, when that happened they began to worship God using liturgy, okay? Liturgy was sort of like this um, recited, pronounced, thought through uh, thing that, the, that the, um, the the priest or whoever was leading the service would recite and everyone would sort of take it in and listen. That was liturgy. That was the way that the church worshiped early on. And you fast forward the clock to 1200 AD, okay, big chunk there. And we get to see the first hymns. You guys know what hymns are, right? We see some of the very first hymns in 1200 AD a guy uh, by the name of Heinrich von Luffenberg. You guys can just forget that now because it's not going to remember it. Uh, during the time of Fran- Saint Francis of Assisi, you guys familiar with him? Uh, they began to write the first hymns. 1535 AD, Luther came on. The, the Protestant Reformation came into the picture, and they began to start writing hymns that were for congregations to sing. So not just a song that you sit and listen to, or a liturgy that you sit and listen to, but songs that everybody could sing with four and five and six part harmonies. That's exciting. Then, this is funny, I found out, in 1725, Johann Sebastian Bach, you guys ever heard of him, okay, actually wrote some songs for the church. Did you know that? Because he felt bad for the priests because their music was so horrible. I mean, thank you, I appreciate that, you know, I have some sympathy for him. Um, he wrote some songs, which is funny. Uh, 1750, Charles and John Wesley started writing the first invitational type songs, A little bit less of the hymn style, a little bit less of the liturgical style, more of a hymn uh, invitational style. A few years later, some Baptists began to merge folk songs, folk melodies with classical hymns. Uh, 1873, D.L. Moody, there was a revival that went under D.L. Moody, and that was when they began to incorporate musical instruments into worship, and they started to really get back to almost even what it would have been like in early Jewish history. Instrumentation and lots of things like that. Then 1940s, some of you guys were alive in here in 1940s, I definitely was not alive in the 1940s, began to really, like, worship started to spread, you know, like, worship blues style, you know, worship country style, gospel style, um, you know, a little more of a diversity in Christian music and Christian worship specifically. And then the 60s, we see the Jesus movement, right? We know about the Jesus movement, Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, we started seeing rock and roll and worship music kind of getting put together a little bit more, which exciting for me. 1990s, we saw like the Vineyard Movement, we saw Hillsong United over in Australia, that was a big deal, and then here we are 2015, and can I just say this, worship music has come so far, like so far. I remember being a kid, and like it was like we had the Red Book and the hymnal, And you just pick from those two. And that was like all we had. I think there was a green book eventually or something. I don't know, my mom knows the white book. Uh, You know, and now we have just hundreds of thousands of quality, killer, good worship songs that are anointed that have been written by people that love God. There's a lot of them out there that resemble rice cakes, but there's also a lot of really good ones. Out there too, um, and when I get to pick songs for a set list i 'm like there 's so much good worship there 's so many anointed and talented musicians writing music for God and for the glory of God we 're blessed to be in the age that we are of worship music. I could just get up here and recite liturgy for 20 minutes. I mean not, not that that 's bad, but just saying okay, so that 's a brief history. you guys still awake? Good to go all right let 's cruise so three dimensions, three pieces of worship that we 're going to look at. Um, I'll just give them to you now. The first one's the corporate worship piece. The second one is the intimacy of worship piece. And the third one is the worship-filled life piece. So if you're taking notes, those are the three things. Let's go with number one. We're going to talk about corporate worship. That's what we just did this morning. Now, there's a little bit of a misconception, I think, sometimes. There's a, there's a, dis, there, there's a, a difference between corporate worship and intimate worship. Okay, corporate worship is when we come together, like we did this morning, and we sing all in one accord. We lift our hands. We worship God together. It's one voice. It's all of us in together, singing together corporately. That's corporate worship. It's important. It's valuable. Here's why. Well, first of all, let me ask this. Why do we sing? Why do we sing? Isn't that random? Okay, why do we sing? First of all, I mean, we see it in the Bible. We talked about that. God commands it even in the Psalms. Sing, sing unto the Lord, sing a new song. We're gonna sing in heaven. Do you guys know that? We're gonna sing in heaven, that's exciting. We'll all have good voices. Um, Let me say this, here's why we sing. Some truths are too powerful to just say. You know that? Some truths are just too powerful to just say them. You, You need a little bit more. You need a little bit of something. You guys ever watch musicals? I'm not a fan. We tried to watch it, was it Into the Woods or something the other day, this musical, and I was just like, I can't do it. My wife and I turned it off. It was just too much prancing and singing. And, um, but I, I will say this. There are certain musicals where there's that moment where that guy is like so passionate and he just bursts into song. And you're like, yeah, of course he bursts into song. What else is he going to do? I mean, he's so passionate, you know, and the words aren't going to cut it. He's got to burst into song. He's got to sing it out, you know. There's something about singing that sort of unleashes the heart further than words can go, further than words can take you. And I think that's a big reason why music is incorporated and, and, and important to worshiping God corporately. Music is powerful, isn't it? Music intrigues me. I'll, I'll, I could talk about this for an hour. I geek out on this. Music is crazy. It's like archeology. span Like we didn't invent it. We found it. God made it. It's crazy, it's there. And we're like, hey, when I put these two notes together, it sounds good. That note doesn't sound good. That was a good illustration. So, bad, good. Um, It's crazy, we put those notes together, it sounds good. And I don't know if you guys know this, some of you know more about music than others, Some some of you took band in high school and things, but there are notes that do not sound good together. Okay? Some people are great at singing them. There are notes that don't go together. It's very mathematic. It's very like this note, and this note, and this. We use something up here called the Nashville number system. Every key has seven chords in it, ultimately, that we use. And we use those seven chords. And so I can say, hey, Seth, play me a four. Hey, play me a three. Well, Seth's the drummer, usually, so. Um, But play me, you know, every note has a number. You can, it's mathematical. It's amazing. God created this awesome thing called music that we get to enjoy and that we get to use to worship God. We get to discover it. Music inspires our hearts. It opens our hearts like heat opens skin to hear and to feel God. I don't know about you guys, but even just this morning, just worshiping the Lord up here and getting ready to come up here, I just felt my my heart was like opened to what the Lord wanted to do. Just the music itself that God made just opened my heart to hear from Him, to be excited to be here. And let's be honest, music gets stuck in our head, right? The most annoying song ever when I was a kid. Uh, Everything's going to be all right in Christ. Lift your hands. Everyone's like, yeah. That's the most annoying worship song. But, dude, it's like stuck in there forever. I mean, it was in the Red Book. It's it stuck in my head forever. Music just does that. I mean, you can remember songs when you're a kid, right? I mean, I'll preach all my points up here, and you guys will forget them all. But you'll remember the songs. You'll be in your car, you'll sing in theology, man. God's goodness and God's grace is going to be pouring out of your mouth when you're singing on your, your car on the way home. Praise the Lord for that. God did that on purpose. He loves to use music to proclaim his own glory, his own greatness. It gets stuck in our head. Evan Wickham is a, a worship pastor up in Portland, and he said this: He said, Music is just the vehicle, but worship is when we all get in the car and go somewhere. Does that make sense? Music is just the vehicle. But it's only worship if we actually get in that thing and go somewhere together. Emphasis on together. We gotta, we gotta get in that thing and say, we're gonna worship God, and music is just how we're gonna get there. That's how we're gonna get our hearts aligned, focused on the same truths of God, singing the same notes to God. And that leads me into my next question. How do, why do we sing together? Why, why not just turn our iPod on and go for a run? And you can do that, that's cool. But why do we all do it together? Why do we do it at the same time? It's one, of the, guys, it's one of the few things that we still do together in this culture. <laughs> we don't eat together anymore. We don't just sit in and talk on our porch anymore. We don't just sit in our living room. We just do our own thing. Everyone's on their laptop. Everyone's on their phone. Everyone's on their iPad. Everyone's doing their own thing. I mean, we, there's churches now that people just sit at home and watch church. You know? I mean, that's, that's a reality. It's one of the last things that we actually come together and do as a family. We sing together, and it unites our hearts. It makes us into one person. It's listen. It's mutual submission. It's like this isn't about my voice. This is about our voice. This is about all of the all of the noise coming out of this together. You guys ever sit and I know Jeff said this before. Sit up front. It sounds so much better up here. It sounds horrible back there, guys. I mean, I, my job is this is to, to make the the sound stuff sometimes, and like it's nothing you can do. Sit up front. It sounds good up here. It sounds great. Listen, when we all sing together, it's, it's, it's amazing. We're all in unified at one point. We're all singing the same thing. We're all together. We're a family. It's like singing happy birthday, right? It doesn't matter if you're off key. You just sing it. You just do it because you're honoring the person whose birthday it is. And you just, you just do it, and it's fun, and, it, and it's great. That's what we, it's like the last thing we sing together in our culture, right? We never sing together. It's all American Idol. It's all I sit and watch you, make fun of you, vote for you. Um, but we don't sing together anymore hundred years ago, it was different. People sang at pubs. People sang at Christmas. That's why all the Christmas carols were written. People sang at games. People just sung all the time together. That's what they did. Today, we don't do that. It's too bad, isn't it? It's too bad. Singing together inspires a kingdom mindset. And what that means is that this is not about you. You get that? Church, I don't. If, I, Americans, we, we forget this probably like every minute. Church is not about you. Can I just let that sink for a sec? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and it's about His kingdom. Okay? So when when we sing together, it reminds us that this is not about me, it's about this. It's about the church, the kingdom coming together in fellowship together. Does worship have to be emotional to please God? That's a question I've heard before. Does emotion, does, does emotion have to be part of worship to please God? I would say absolutely not. Sometimes we just sing because we can't help it, right? Like Psalm 71 says, my lips shall shout for joy. I can't help it. I got to praise God. And sometimes we sing out of obedience. God, I'm going to sing to you because you're worthy anyways, even though I don't feel like it. Even though I got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning, I haven't had my Cheerios yet. I'm going to sing anyways, right? Guys, we sing because we need to put great words on our lips. We need the theology of God to be in our mouths and the greatness of God to be reminded in our hearts as we sing. As the great theologian, Pastor Jeremy Neff from Heritage Christian Fellowship once said, (laughs) no joke though, that guy, I'd quote him all day. I love that guy. Seriously, he is so wise. He said, songs and liturgy are like a cathedral of words drawing our attention upwards and away from us. Isn't that good? You know, that's why they built cathedrals in the old days, was to give attention to God. Our words and our songs are like cathedrals that point to the glory of God. That's awesome. Thank you, Jeremy. He's available for counseling. Um, and let me just say this, okay, and then we'll move on. It's okay that worship's weird. It's okay. Take a deep breath. It's okay that it's weird. And here's how I know. Because the first time the Holy Spirit was manifest in the earth through the church at Pentecost when the disciples were together, you know what happened? We don't talk about this much in Reformed churches. This is what happened, okay? The Holy Spirit fell, and everyone started to speak in different languages. Now, not Babel, but they spoke real languages all at the same time, and everyone is like, these guys are wasted, They're drunk. They're crazy. What's going on? Were they wasted? No. The Holy Spirit fell. They were speaking in languages, proclaiming the gospel, by the way, to people that could hear it in their own words. And it looked weird, and it looked crazy, but it was awesome. So it's okay that worship looks weird. I don't care if I look weird when I worship God. I really don't, and I probably do. I'm glad we don't have like a camera on my face because I make the funniest faces when I worship. You know, it's okay that we look weird. It's going to look funny, and we're not going to get it right right away. Pentecost was weird, but it was important, okay? Piece number two, the intimacy piece of worship. Now, this is where all you guys that are, like, not emotional, and you, like, don't like the emotional, they're, they're, like, you're going to squirm, okay? The intimacy of worship. There is another piece. There is another level. It's not just that we come and sing together as a group and that we all sing the same thing. It's not just that. But there also is a piece of intimacy between you and God that needs to take place. In Exodus 33, chapter uh, chapter 33, verse 15, it says this. The Lord is having this dialogue with Moses. Okay, now this is good. Listen to this. And Moses says to him, he says to the Lord, he says, If your presence will not go with me, then do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? Two things. Moses is saying, God, if your presence is not going to be manifest here, and let me clarify something that's not figurative. Okay? That's not figurative. That's literal. God's presence came, was manifested on Mount Sinai, pillar by day, a cloud by night. God was physically showing up. Manifestations were there happening for the Israelites. Okay? So when, 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 ex, when, when uh, Moses is saying, we can't go without your presence, he's not talking about like, I just need to know you're there. No, like, like literally feel, know that you're there. If you don't, if your presence isn't here, we can't do this. And then he says, well, what sets us apart? He says, if we don't have your presence, nothing sets us apart from everyone else. There's no difference. Guys, what sets us apart from a social club if we don't have the presence of God? People come together for stuff all the time. There are literally churches, I watched a documentary about one, that get together and they're complete universalists. They don't, they don't there's no God now, they weren't universal. They're just literally atheists. They, there's no God, but we're going to get together and just hang out and sing songs. What sets us apart from them if the presence of God isn't here? I mean, good grief. What are we doing here? If we don't have the presence of God, we might as well go home. We need his presence here. And Moses is pleading with God saying, please. Now, some of you guys might be saying, well, well his presence is everywhere, right? There's a difference. Let me make this clear. There's a difference between his omnipresence, which means he's everywhere, Okay? He's everywhere in everything. And his, listen, his manifest presence. His manifest presence is when he allows his people to see and to feel and to be revealed. When his presence is made known, that's the difference between his omnipresence and his manifest presence. So yeah, God was with Israel when they went through the Red Sea. God was with Israel while they were in Egypt. But he manifested himself to Israel when they were in the wilderness. That's what I want Sam, you're going all Pentecostal. I'm not. I want the presence of God. Do you want the presence of God? I mean, what are we doing here? I want the presence of God. If if worship has no intimacy, if worship has no presence of God, then we're just singing songs. There needs to be an aspect. There needs to be a mention of worship that goes beyond, that says, God, we want to feel your presence. We want to know that you're here. We want to be recharged by you. We want to enjoy you some of you that makes you feel uncomfortable it shouldn't because listen God actually desires to be enjoyed did you know that he wants you to enjoy him in fact I think that's the whole reason we're here in the first place the whole reason this whole redemption story is in the bible and the whole reason we're sitting here in church this morning is because God wants you to enjoy him why because it gives him glory when you do and God is all about God's glory did you know that God is all about God's glory, and when you enjoy him, it gives him glory. So if there's no enjoying God to worship, we're missing something. It's another dimension you need to think about. There was a time, and I, I'm, guys, I'm not like Pentecostal dude. I'm like conservative guy raised, all that kind of stuff, but I went down to this thing, this, this conference, and a guy, a guy got up here, and there was no worship. There was no song. There was, the lights were on. There was no fog or anything. There was nothing to manipulate me. And they were like, you know what? We don't need any of this stuff to invite the presence of God. So let's invite the presence of God. And the church was like, boom! And they were all praying out loud. God, just come into this place. We, we want you to be here. Here. And, and I'm like sitting here like, dude, this is weird. I'm just like, this is, get me out of here. And then it just hit me. <laughs> I mean, it hit me. If you guys don't me, I'm not like that mystic guy. I'm not. But it hit me and it was irrefutable. The presence of God was there. It wasn't because I was inviting him. It's because everyone else was. And it was there, and it was amazing. It wasn't just about the feeling, but guess what? You guys were created to be intimate beings. You were created with needs. And God desires to meet you in those places as well. God desires to fulfill some of those intimacy things where God, I don't wanna just know about you. I don't wanna just know your theology, understand your doctrine, I wanna know you. I want your presence to be manifest in my life. I wanna have a relationship with you that's tangible, that's real. It goes beyond just head knowledge. Gosh, may that, maybe that be our desire, Heritage. We don't want to just have good theology. We have good theology, good teaching, right? But it's got to be more than that. I want to feel God. I want to know him. I want to have real experiences with him. Times with you guys in fellowship where we all feel God at once and we could say, man, wasn't that great? <laughs> wasn't that great? Moses says, if your presence isn't here, I don't know what we're going to do. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we experience that? Now, this, this month we did the first worship night. A, f- a few of you guys were there. And the whole thing of the worship night is literally God, like everything we do in service is always so trimmed in order. You know, because we've got kids. And we've got kids we've got to pick up. We've got stuff we've got to go do. The worship night is not about that. <laughs> I told my worship team, I'm like, we will throw every song in the garbage if we have to. The point of this night is just to give God space to do what he wants to do. So we played worship and people worshiped God and we felt the presence of God. You guys were there, some of you? And people prayed for each other and ministry happened and what we did was we just created space for God. You guys remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, three of the disciples go up with Jesus, right? And this crazy thing happens. Jesus' glory is manifest, he starts glowing, right? It's this amazing moment. I mean, holy cow, Jesus is showing us his heavenly state and what does Peter do? He has to do something because that's what we as Christians always feel like we have to do. God's working. God's doing something cool. And I'm like, i got to say something. i got to pray or something. Or i got to like sing a song because this is awkward, right? He couldn't just let it be. He couldn't just enjoy that moment of watching Jesus transfigure and be glorified. He had to do something. And so he's like, hey, let's, it's good for us to be here. Let's build some tents, you know? Come on, Peter. And then it's done. It's over. God's voice comes from heaven and says, this is my son who whom I'm well pleased. Why do we always feel like we have to do something? Why don't we just like allow room for God to do work, to minister through each other, for people to pray for each other? Because it feels uncomfortable. If I just sat up here and said, I'm gonna, pray, I'm gonna play some music, I want you guys all just to spend some time praying for each other, you guys would all go home. <laughs> I've done it before. I hope, that, I hope that's not true. I shouldn't say that. I hope that's not true. I hope we're people that long for the presence of God, that are okay with the uncomfortableness, that are okay with allowing room for God to work, allowing room for God to do ministry in times and not feeling like we always have to say something. There's, at the end of every psalm, not every psalm, at the end of a lot of psalms in the Bible, there's a little word called selah. You guys ever seen that before? You know what that means? It's pause and reflect. Just take a minute and think about the weight of what has just been said. I mean, we need those moments. God, your grace is so good. God, your sovereignty is so amazing. I'm just gonna take a second and just be in that and just realize that. Let that hit me. Let that hit my heart. So just moving on to the next thing. Time to go eat lunch. You know what I mean? That's my desire for this church, that we would be people that create space for God to work, for God to move. Okay, moving on. We'll, We'll wrap it up on this. Wow, I just, that's so funny. I just got done talking about how we need to make space and I'm like, let's move it on. Uh, For Brent's sake and for the kids' volunteers. Um, The last piece, and this is important, okay, because guys, the reality is is that 99%, let me start over. The reality is is that 1% of your guys' life is spent doing spiritual things. This here, what we're doing right now, is going to, if you added it all up at the end of your life, would probably, for most of you, be about a percent of your entire life. 99% of your life is spent doing what? Working a job. 99% of your life is spent taking care of your kids, changing diapers, wiping snow. I do it all day. My wife does it all day. I do it at night. And... Doing stuff like that, going to graduations, going to birthdays, going to this, going to that, our life is made up of things that just seem sort of menial and seem sort of unspiritual. And sometimes when, when, when guys like me get up here that do this for a living and we talk about worship, it makes us feel guilty because we're like, well, that's easy for you to say. Your job is to do worship. What about us? We go to work every day in a secular job and do things that seem unimportant and th- seem that, things that seem menial and seem like they mean nothing. Well, I want to I speak to that really quick, okay? I want to speak to that really quick. I talk to a lot of people as a pastor that come to me and they say, I just feel like my life, I feel like my job has no meaning. I just feel like I want to do something that has more meaning. You know, and that's noble. I get that. So what do people do? I need to go into missions, I need to do a nonprofit, or I need to be in ministry. Because that's the only thing that has meaning in life. That's the only thing that's going to allow my life to be spiritual and to count for something, right? But that's backwards thinking. It's wrong thinking. Worship is not confined to the 1% of time that you guys spent in this sanctuary. I hope that when you are here and we worship together, it's powerful. I hope that God manifests himself. I hope we sing together. We sing good theology, good doctrine. But that's 1%. What about the 99? (laughs) What about the rest of my life? Is that not spiritual? Does that not count? Is that not worship? Is that not treasure in heaven? I want to know. There was this thing that happened in the medieval time of Christianity where the church literally said, literally said, if you are clergy, if you are a priest, if you are a nun, if you are a monk, if you are whatever, then you are at a higher footing than other Christians. Did you know that? And that I think has infiltrated into somehow still into Christianity where we think that in order to be meaningful and spiritual, I have to go to the mission field for my life. And those guys that go to the mission field, yes, I'm glad they're there. And they're called to do that. But they are not at a higher spiritual footing than the guy that works a job and raises a family. That is not true. At all. And here's why. The Protestant Reformation came along and they started to think about these things. So wait a minute. Is it really more spiritual? Is it really better to be in ministry than it is just to be a normal guy? And they realized that the Bible says this little thing called I don't I I only start over. This Bible says this thing where it says that all of us are priests. you ever read that? We're a kingdom of priests. You know what that does? It levels the playing field. It means that just because it's my job to come up here and preach makes me no higher on any kind of spiritual level and makes my life worth no more than you guys that are going out and working in a secular job every day. It It just eliminates that because we're all priests. And guess what? When the millennium comes, I don't have a job. Do you know that in heaven, you guys, we're gonna we're gonna work, we're gonna create, we're gonna cultivate, and we'll talk about it in a second. I'm not gonna have a job because sin's gone. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna start at McDonald's level. You know, not oh, there's anything wrong with that. Um, Genesis 1:28. This is cool, and we'll check with me on this. We'll be done. Genesis 1:28. God says it's his first commandment. It's his first thing that he says to mankind, and he says, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the heavens and over a living thing that moves on the earth. That was the first thing that God told mankind to do. He didn't say, go be spiritual and do spiritual things. Go work at a nonprofit or your life's not worth anything. No, he said, go what? Go rule, go subdue, go cultivate. It started in a garden, it ends in a city, which means that they took that garden and they cultivated okay? it. Okay, it means that that God is calling us not to separate the spiritual from the regular. That's what we do. Man, I go work eight hours a day, and then I get, I get a little bit of spiritual time with the Lord, and then I got to go take care of my kids, and then I got to get ready for the next day, and I just, I wish that, no, why are we separating those things out? You can't separate those things out. You can't say that just because it's devotional time on your yoga mat with your bible and your latte that that's spiritual and that going to work isn't because it's not true god's call on us is not just to do spiritual things it's to make everything spiritual things let me let me unpack what i mean by that romans 12 1 says this i appeal to you therefore brethren by the mercies of god to present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to god which is listen which is your spiritual worship now, did Paul just say, go do something for a nonprofit or missions because that's the only way your worship is spiritual? No, he didn't say that. He said, just present your body as a living sacrifice. So, to the mom out there, okay? You guys. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice every day when you get up and you cultivate life in your kids and you pour yourself in to show them and to teach them and to change their diapers and to drive them to soccer and to take them to school. You're cultivating life. You're ruling. You're reigning as God intended you to do and that is spiritual. Amen? That is spiritual. That is not second nature. That's not second fiddle. It's not. It's all spiritual if it's done to the glory of God. If it's done to the glory of God, The guy out there running a CEO, doing it in a way that's honorable to the Lord, taking care of his employees, making the earth a better place, that is his spiritual sacrifice. He is cultivating the earth for the kingdom of God, for God's glory, and it's no less spiritual than the guy who's over on the mission field right now. Okay, why do I say all this? (laughs) Why do I say all this? Because the implications are huge. It means that menial life is not menial life. It means that our jobs right now that feel mundane and feel old and feel frustrating is not menial, it's spiritual. It's a living sacrifice every day to get up and to do what we do and that's God created us to be cultivators, to be creators, to be designers, to be people that make things better in the world for his glory and we're gonna do it in heaven too. Isn't that cool? I'll be out of a job but you know it's cool. It's exciting. So the better you are at your job, the better mom that you are, the better dad that you are, the better student that you are, when it's done as a sacrifice to God, is all holy. It's all spiritual. It's not just the 1%. And I'll I'll end on this and let this hit you, please. If you get the 99% wrong, you're gonna get the 1% wrong. If you're not living life to the glory of God in every aspect of your 99%, the 1% you spend in here with us together, you're you're not gonna get it. It's all gotta be worship. It's all gotta be worship. It's all gotta be saying, God, you are more valuable and I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna do the best job I can at everything that I do for your glory because you're greater. I'm not gonna let it get out of place and worship it over you. That's the Christian life. That's a life we can live. It's all to the glory of God. So I just want, I just want to let you guys know God's doing something in this church. Do you know that? He's doing something, and I really believe that at the core of it, at the heart of it, is worship. Not the genre, not the music, not the songs, but people in this church that are saying, God, we're worshiping you. Guys, I've been here for two years. I've seen the difference in two years. You guys are worshiping God more every week, and it's so exciting. I see more hands raised. I see more people singing the songs. I see more people excited. And in meetings throughout the week, I see more people living lives of worship, and it's exciting. God's doing something in this church, and it's, at the core of it is worship. And it's exciting to me. And I want to invite you guys to be part of that. I want to invite you guys on Sunday morning, let's get the 1% right, and let's go get the 99% right. Let's go do it all for God's glory. Let's offer our lives as living sacrifices. Amen? All right, would you guys stand up with me? And we'll go eat lunch to the glory of God. Unless it's Taco Bell, that's, sorry. Just kidding, kidding. sorry. Uh, But seriously, all right, let's pray. God, I'm just, I'm so thankful this morning, Lord. Uh, I'm thankful for your gospel. I'm thankful that, Lord, we get to worship you. I'm thankful that you're a God that likes to be enjoyed that you know that you're the ultimate source of joy in all the universe and you allow us to worship you and to praise you and to experience you, to feel you. And God, I thank you that worship's all about you. Lord, if we get to feel you, that's great, but it's all about you, Lord. And I pray, God, this morning, that this would be a church that people wouldn't come to because of the worship or the teaching or the kids' ministry or the programs, but God, people would come to this church because your presence is here, because your manifest presence shows up and is known here God I pray that would be what sets us apart from the world not that we do funny things or anything like that but that that your presence would set us apart God fill our hearts I pray we would have a Salem moment this afternoon we would stop and think about this are we being worshippers in every aspect of our life not being more spiritual to be spiritual but are we worshipping you God are we giving our lives as a holy sacrifice in every aspect so Lord we love you God We thank you. We praise you. You are worthy, God, of all glory and all honor and all praise forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Guys, have a great day. We'll see you guys on uh, Wednesday. We're going to start the book of Nehemiah. It should be good.